Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith. I write the comic Kadoja. I also am part of the 215 Inc. editorial team, and I review horror books and comics on my blog, Probing the Depths. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. you into comics man let's start with that let's start with that origin story what what got you into comics and maybe if it's a different comic what made you want to do them well what got me into comics was uh just just getting my first issue alpha flight 23 from one of my buddies in elementary school i think we we're in like third or fourth grade his uncle is uh wills portachio so it's it's like a filipino thing like i don't think they're blood relatives but it's uh wills is a friend of his family so he got like a load of comics uh, given to him and he brought them all into class and he had a bunch of cool ones, a bunch of X-Men books. And I think at that point, the X-Men cartoon, the single episode where Wolverine has an Australian accent, uh, Pride of the X-Men, I think that had already came out. So we were aware of what the X-Men was and uh, also the arcade games, right? But he, so he brought a, a big pile in and, I, you know, kids have have no shame so I asked him if I could have one and uh, he didn't want to part with any of the good ones and he gave me Alpha Flight number 23 and from that point on I was hooked uh, later that day I ended up going to 7-Eleven begging my mom and picked up some books off the spinner rack and uh, it was you know all she wrote from there on out I was I was reading comics constantly hell yeah man that's cool that's cool I was I was also trying to date when you got into it what year is that is that the 90s I would say late 80s. Late um, 80s. Yeah, I was born in 80. I think third grade, I'm like, I don't know, nine? Is that how old people are in third grade? What, what was your first book? What was the first thing you picked up? Seventh grade. And for some reason, I started running with these two new friends I made named uh, Danny and John. And they were into comics. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I can figure out what this comics thing is. You know, uh, I, I obviously knew what they were. I knew what all the superheroes were and stuff. I was a superhero fan. So I guess I ended up going with them and one of their parents to a comic store somewhere in downtown Houston. I can't remember. And when I walked in, the first comic that caught my eye was Secret Wars 4. And that's the one where the Hulk is holding up, for those not familiar with it, Secret Wars was this enormous crossover comic done in the 80s as a way of tying in with the toy line. I happen to still really love it even though superheroes are not as much my thing anymore. But the cover of Secret Wars 4 is Hulk basically protecting the entire Marvel heroes by holding up a mountain that's going to crush them. And so as soon as I saw that, I'm like, that is awesome, right? And that's some big scale stuff. So right around then, it was um, the the big comic that everybody was talking about was Spider-Man 252, which was the first black costume Spider-Man, which of course then went on to become Venom. They they kind of did this retroactive history thing where a couple issues later in Secret Wars 8, you find out the origin of the black costume and the rest is history for 30 years. So yeah, that was that was the one that I remember the most. That and again, it was right around the time of Spider-Man 252. I don't think it was that far from Thor 337, which was Simonson peak Thor. 
And, uh, and those, yeah, those were the ones that kind of got me in and, and kept me in. I did kind of dip out for a little while, but, uh, you know, then all of a sudden it just kind of came back and stayed back for good. Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of people because the same thing happened to me. Uh, so I got in uh, roughly around that time, like nine or ten, and I read through most of my teens. Um, but I think in, I think there was a little gap there. Um, no, you know what it was? It was I discovered comic stores. Like mm. I was just buying stuff off the rack. And then out of nowhere, I discovered comic book stores. It's like, whoa, a whole store full of these things. And uh, that's where I got my... X-Men number one by Jim Lee, you know, X-Force number one, Rob Liefeld, New Mutants 100, all of those. And uh, those those were my peak books. Those were the things that engraved in my mind. Those are the ones that hold the most uh, value uh, in, in my in my mind. And it's like, I think we retain a lot of our inf- like information or like how much we're imprinted on when we're around that age, like 13, 14. And like you said, that's when when you got in. Right. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. I actually looked up Secret Wars four while you were talking, and that is a badass cover. It's great, right? Like, yeah, it's also the best of the 12 Secret Wars covers. I mean, maybe eight is great because Spider-Man's like sitting there stunned looking at his own costume. But yeah, it'd be hard to find a cover that's going to get somebody into comics more than Secret Wars four. Right. Like so much of what makes superheroes interesting and cool is encapsulated in that cover, right? Like, yeah. and and the idea of this this breakthrough scope, right, of something bigger than you could have possibly imagined, you know. And again, one of the it's in response to a thing where, um, God, I can't remember who it is. Is it Magneto? Somebody, anyway, somebody drops a mountain range on the on the superheroes, right? And and the Hulk is keeping it from going that final precious couple feet. But just yeah. the concept of dropping a mountain range on somebody is also awesome and hilarious at the same yeah, time. Yeah, the concept is fantastic. And also it's an artist's dream. Like the 75% of the cover is the mountain. So he has this small wedge here where the, the Hulk is holding up the mountain and the hero's under it, like stunned and ready to get crushed and everything. So uh, do you guys yourselves a favor and look that up. It, it's such a, such a great cover. It's, it's brilliant. Why is it an artist's dream? Because there's so less, so less to draw, <laughs> mm. and the comp and the composition is cool. Like honestly, if I would have done this, and th- and this is with the benefit, you know, of seeing it years later. So uh, seeing so many different techniques, I would black a lot of that mountain out. You know, it looks. No, you know what? No, no, I wouldn't do that. Thinking about it, I think seeing the entire mountain is what gives it the stunning element to it. I was gonna say it, it could benefit for some shadow work, but. But honestly, I think that would take away from it. Um, yeah, so just this composition alone is, is very cool. It's like a straight on shot, um, but there's something powerful about it. You know, like there's certain angles that kind of take away power. And at this angle, I think it's I think it's perfect. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, I know a little bit on perspective because I, like a lot of idiots, bought How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, thinking I was going to become some amazing comic artist. I tried, I tried like four lamps, and then I was like, I'm not, I'm not for this. This is not me. <laughs> a lot of people, it's, it's not for a lot of people. It's actually for a very small amount of people. It's, it's so much work. It's way much, way more work than people think it is. Like, I, I know artists um, that have aspirations to be comic book artists, but they never do interior pages. And it's 
it's like a, that's the only way to be a comic book artist is to do interiors. So the more you put that off, the the worst off you're going to be. You know, there's there's yeah. so many more steps. Uh, there's such a difference between interior art and cover work. It's like uh, I have an artist artist friend who's a really really great commission commission artist. Like he gets work all the time, and he does nice compositions and everything. But I'm helping him through his interior work. And he's just, he's not used to it. And, and I'm saying, look, this is what's going on on this page. Like the way you have this panel, the character in this panel, it's directing your eye this way. It's not directing it to the next panel. And that's something I've learned over the years, just watching tutorials, listening to professionals, uh, getting firsthand tips from professionals. And it's, it's a whole other art form in its own, uh, constructing interior pages. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting, right? Because when, when I think of someone like you were just saying, who's just doing comic covers it's like well that's okay so you want to be frank Frazetta, you know or or you want to be that equivalent right or you want to be i'm reading a book right now called paperbacks from hell that's about um exactly what you think right like 80, 70s and 80s um horror books and they have individual like splash page uh, single page descriptions of some of the more famous cover artists but again cover art cover art you need to tell uh, as much as you can of the story in one image where mm-hmm. comics are your, you know, interiors are you are telling the story. So you don't have to feel like you're encapsulating a whole lot in one image. Right. Yeah. And and just looking over his pages, it's interesting because it's like, okay, he's got the majority of the information there. But sometimes we're getting to another panel. It's like, wait, what happened from there to there? You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's something that you, you're not thinking about uh, when you're probably doing covers. Because like you said, you're you're telling a story in one image. But like, this is like, okay, how, this is like taking steps. You, you got to figure out, you know, get to from the doorway to the other side of the room. And, yeah. and it was something he was having trouble with. So uh, just me doing it for so long, it's, it's almost automatic now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, that there is, there is a lot of that that's, you know, the second nature starts to creep in, right? So no, it makes mm-hmm. sense. All right. So let's, uh, so let's see, we talked about how we got into comics and then we flash forward a little bit. What drove, like, what circumstances um, drove you first making your first comic? Well, I've, I've always wanted to make comics ever since I was a little kid. And I've always wanted to have my own characters. I've never wanted to to draw the X-Men or anything like that. I've always wanted to draw my own stories. And I think that comes from something Stan Lee said a long time ago. It's like, you know, I there's all these brilliant creators and they always want to, you know, do more stories with my creations. But... I don't understand why they should be doing their own characters. You know, they should create their own X-Men, their own Spider-Man. And I always held on to that. And um, so ever since I was a young kid, I've been training myself to draw comics. Like during summer school, I, I or not summer school, during the summer, I wouldn't let myself go outside until I finished one page of art. And I knew, well, comics are about, I think back in the day, uh, they were like 19 to 24 pages, depending. And I'm like, well, that's a page a day. So I have to draw a page a day. So that's what I was training myself to do. I wouldn't let myself go outside until that page was done. And um, then I, I took a hiatus. I was a pro wrestler for 10 years. And uh, during that 10 years, I think I touched a pencil like once or twice. I actually stopped drawing for 10 years. And uh, when I hit 30, I was like, no, you know what? I, I miss comics. I miss doing them. And uh, I started again. And it was, it was you know, it was like riding a bike. But um, it was like, Going from a beach cruiser to a ten speed, so it was like sure. I kind of I kind of know how to do this. And so you you started drawing that. Did you co-create Second Shift with Ed? Is that how that worked? No, I created Second Shift in seventh grade. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I created them, and I and I drew comics with them uh, ever since then, when I was younger. But it was always one of those things where I would draw a couple of pages, and then I was a kid, so I'd get bored, and I would stop drawing the book, and I would just go do something else, you know? I have a bunch of stories that are, are a few pages long, and that's about it. And uh, so I, I actually did take a couple of the concepts from those stories, and I've used them into the, the book as, as it is now. Uh, but yeah, I met Ed when we were wrestling, and... He, uh, you know, had the same interests as me. He loved comics. He loved wrestling. We both loved Bruce Lee, basketball, you know, uh, shoes. We're both sneakerheads. So we had a lot of a lot of similar interests. And he would uh, give me some of his scripts to read. And um, he always wanted me to draw them for him. But I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to try drawing my own book. Would you be interested in, like, trying out to be the writer? And so I gave him and another friend kind of like a basic plot. I said, hey, here's the characters. This is what they're like. These are their aspirations, their dreams, their personalities, their quirks. Um, have them in a restaurant and having a conversation. Let me just see if what that sounds like with you guys. And one guy did terrible. Like the conversation was just, it was brutal. Like every kind of little thing I gave about the character, he tried to fit it into the story, which was mm. super weird. It was like, I was just trying to give you an idea of who the characters were. And uh, he, he tried to fit every little thing into that, um, whereas Ed just crushed it. He, he got the idea of who everyone was, and he wrote me a conversation, a conversation uh, that I had never heard before. It was like, hey, these are my characters, and they're having a conversation that I didn't write, and it's, it's wild. Like, it was just crazy to me. Like, my mind was blown. So after that, it's just like, okay, we're inseparable. I'm, you know, you and me, we're doing this, buddy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So that you and I both know uh, where we met. So we're both working our way slowly to meeting at Long Beach Comic Con, right? Yes. Um, and so in, in my case, I suppose there's a much longer version of this. Um, I'll give the short version of the long version, which is I'm in a band called Big Pimp Jones. We have some albums out there that you can find. We did a couple fake soundtracks to uh, to 70s exploitation films. One was called Bad, Bad Jimmy Ruckus, and one's called Jimmy Ruckus and the Five Fingers of Death. We've also done a few singles and 45s and things on like funk boutique labels because we're a funk band. And so I remember that we were about to go into the studio in 2010 to record um, a session that ended up just being, I think we made a single out of it, and then we have some songs on like Bandcamp and stuff as a result. And the night before, I was listening to some demos I had messed around with on like hip hop, and it was all this orchestral stuff, and it had rhymes over it, and it had like digital hip hop beats. And I was listening to it, and I'm like, you know, if I take the rhymes off this and take the beats off and then redo it as instrumentals with drums, it sounds like a Godzilla soundtrack. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. So I actually sprang it on the other two guys in the band, well, three guys at the band at the time. They're like, wow, that's great. We should really pursue this. So we created a fake Godzilla soundtrack that we were going to sell to the label. And for various reasons, it didn't get released on the label. So now we have this these 10 songs we really like, but we don't have anything to do with. And, and it's kind of like, well, why make a fake Godzilla soundtrack when we can make our own giant monster? And then that led to, I can write this giant monster, and we can find artists for this giant monster, which led to a bunch of left and right turns and straightaways and all that. And before you know it, we had Kadoja after a while. That's awesome. Where So where did you meet uh, Rory at? That also ties back to Big Pimp Jones. So 
I'm, I met a, a, a good friend of mine in Philadelphia back when I lived there named Scheme Richards. And what happened was I knew he was spinning. I had seen him in, in a, like a, the Philadelphia arts paper and I wanted to make an acquaintance. So I walked down there to the, the club he was spinning at and uh, gave him a stack of the stuff we did. And one of the things happened to be, I'm not going to be too long winded about this, but one of these, one of the, in the stack were a couple 45s that, uh, that we had put out through the record label before these um, albums came out. And so I remember that he, he finished DJing and I got a note from him at four in the morning. Cause that's when he came home and he was like, I, I helped break this record. Like, I know exactly who you are, like that kind of thing. So, oh, wow. you know, from, from, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, I know. How crazy is that, right? Because even being in like a, a band that, you know, our, our records basically came out in the UK and apparently made the rounds a little bit in like the hip hop funk b-boy scene. But you don't know that. I, I mean, I told somebody this, that I got I got news that we were actually going to sign a deal for a couple 45s while I was sitting in a subway in New York. Not not the subway, a subway, the sandwich place. I was eating a turkey BMT, you know, like... <laughs> That's that's indie music right there. You know, you you get the email or you're like, holy crap. Wow, this is really going to happen. Now let me just finish this sandwich. You know, you know, one thing leads to another. I become friends with Scheme. Scheme and I ended up um, and, and uh, we end up doing a, a 45 through a, a record label where he had an acquaintance. And obviously I know that person now, Junior at Record Break-In. Then he brought Lance into the fold, who ended up doing the cover art for this Kadoja 45. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. for, for he did the art for a Scheme 45 under the moniker Hot Peas and Butter. So that was how I met Lance. So Lance uh, is, is still acting a lot as consultant, but he did the covers to the first 10 Kadoja books, as well as okay. some other things as well. So it was actually Lance before it was Rory. And then we had a, so it was just Lance and I bouncing off these ideas about like this giant monster comic. We tried out an artist or two and it didn't work. And then Lance recommended Rory because Rory, of all things, had done a couple killer party flyers for parties that Lance was promoting in New York. (laughs) So random. Yeah, right. I, I remember when Lance recommended Rory, I went to Rory's art page and saw a couple things of his art. And he had one that was sort of giant monsterish. It was people running away from like an abominable snowman. And the best thing about that piece was the perspective. He just flipped perspective in a really wild way. He basically dropped the camera down to the ground so that everything was enormous. And um, he kept, he repeatedly did that over and over. But when I saw a couple of his pieces, even as his portfolio, I'm like, this guy really understands perspective. Let's go with it. And uh, then I, that is definitely a the rest is history moment, because then after that, it was it was pretty smooth sailing for for 10 issues of Kadoja. I'm, I'm now on to a new artistic team um, for, among other reasons, Rory has worked his way through the animation field and now works at Disney. So he's had a whole bunch of jobs and, you know, um, now he's making some real money. Yeah, making, you know, when you're on the indie scene, honestly, like you're not going to be making a lot of money. Like it's just it's just how it is. But like you said, you're building a portfolio. Um, and that's, that's how I feel. Like, I don't think about it so much, you know, like the money or whatever. Um, you know, like you said earlier, I got a day job. So as far as money goes, it's all good. I'm not worried about it. And I do enough commission work where the comics feed itself, you know, when I print the books and, you know, doing my Kickstarters and whatnot. So, uh, it's definitely, 
it's definitely not a giant money maker. So if you're getting into comics to make money like right off the bat, like you better be the best of the best of the best or else it's not going to happen. So Yeah, I would say if you're getting into if you're getting into comics for the money, who the fuck have you been talking to? What, yeah, what exactly. person filled your head with that idea, right? Where it's not, it it's not the 90s anymore. Like the 90s, you're making, you know, money hand over fist, but it's definitely not that. Yeah, and it's it, it's not that you, by the way, it's not that you can't make money, make a couple dollars, do better than break even, build a following and get it out there, and then maybe go for the big the big meal ticket, right? I mean, yeah. I, know, I know a bunch of artists who who do that. I mean, a lot of people do it because every little thing can lead to a bigger thing, which can lead to a bigger thing. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're writing comics at Marvel or DC or image or wherever, wherever, wherever fancies you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kirkman got picked up from a battle Pope. You know what I mean? Mm. So he's like an indie book he was doing called battle Pope. And, uh, you know, the right people saw it, it got picked up and, you know, or he got picked up to do some scripts somewhere and, and, you know, he makes the walking dead and all his history. So, yeah. you know, it, it happens, you know, that's and that's all you can hope for. I think if you're if you're truly into comics for making comics, um, it's all about creating that that history, you know, like getting getting all those issues in the can and is building that library and someone, you know, maybe today it's not the day for your book, but, you know, who knows about tomorrow? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I would even, you know, my my favorite example there is Brian Michael Bendis. I was a huge fan of Brian Michael Bendis in his indie days. I think his first book was called Quivers, if I remember right. And I can't even remember what damn press that came out on. I believe his second book was AKA Goldfish, which came out on Caliber Press. And it was all black and white. It was very, it it was done in the wake of like Pulp Fiction. So it was in the early to mid nineties. I remember loving it when I worked at, so for you, for you old timers um, that actually remember a world with two comic book distributors, I worked for the other one. I worked for a comic book distributor named Capital City. I managed Mm -hmm. one of their branches and then I was a field sales rep for a couple of years and then they ended up um, kind of getting bought out by diamond. And then I moved on into, into a little bit more of a corporate lifestyle. Let's just say after that. But, uh, I was a huge proponent. Um, I remember going on my sales rounds and talking up AKA goldfish back in the day. Did he, did he draw that book? I remember, I remember hearing he was an artist, so I couldn't yes. remember if he drew Yeah. Okay. So he, he drew the book, but, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. This is, this is paraphrasing and it's memory and it's poor, but, I think what he did was he took photographs and then drew over them. He basically Mm. did like primitive Photoshop. He would take a bunch of photographs. Now, the great thing about his scenes is they're super real life. So you can totally envision him just going downtown, taking a whole bunch of exterior shots of people and then just sketching them in as comics. I'm pretty sure that's what he did for his first couple because then he followed that up with Jinx. And then Jinx got a big break because Spin Magazine gave it a two-page spread, which which he credited at the time as being the thing that really got him noticed. Next came, I believe, Torso. And then after that came Powers. And that's his The Rest is History, right? Once Powers right. came out, it was Welcome to the Mainstream, Brian Michael Bendis. And since then, he's written for damn near every publisher there is. You yeah. know, had a had a big run with both Marvel and DC. I don't even know where he is now, but I'm sure he's just knocking out a bunch of comics like always. Yeah, he's over at uh, DC. He's doing mm-hmm. Superman, and uh, he had his own line. I don't know if it's still going on with all the changes uh, over at DC. 
but uh, it was called the Wonder Comics. So he had his own mm. line within DC, and they brought back the Power Twins, and they're they're really fun. I'm actually reading that series right now. Uh, so yeah, he's doing tons of stuff over there. Nice, nice. Uh, that's cool. Okay, so we're we're almost to the so we now we we get to the point where as we kind of continue this through in our in our episode zero where uh, we met right. So we were tabling next to each other at Long Beach Comic Con. I don't know when the hell that was, man. Twenty fourteen, maybe that would be. I want to say tw- I want to say twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. Um, issue number one of Second Shift uh, finally was completed and uh, printed in two thousand thirteen. And uh, that was my very first show was Long Beach, Long Beach Comic Con. Hell yeah, man. I think it was my second. I think it was my no, second. Actually, yeah, it was my second as well. Now I'm thinking about San Diego Comic Fest, which is a very small convention in San Diego. That was my first convention. And my second convention was Long Beach Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. And we got put so, next yeah, we were... to each other. Yeah, that, that was where we first met. You know, for, for a lot of people out there that are, that that are on the table side, you know, selling their own stuff in in whatever way it's going to be. Um you know that, you know, you can you can get the good draw in a booth, you can get a bad draw in a booth. I think oh, most yeah. most booth draws tend to be average to above average. You know what I mean? Like you're you're going to get somebody who's nice. In my experience, the vast majority of booth mates are nice, polite, they keep to themselves they'll you know you can ask them to like watch your table for three minutes while you take a break for the restroom they can do the same for you that's where i think most table relationships hover right right but um but yeah we were we were kicking it next to each other and i don't know how it happened but a bunch of things you just mentioned about uh you and ed hitting it off happened again with us right it was kind of like basketball and sneakers and mm-hmm. comics, right? I, I think that was it. I think we were talking about fantasy yeah. basketball at the time or something, right? And Ed's Ed's a big hip hop head too, so mm. I'm sure you guys started chopping up about that. Um, you know, Ed's super into music, so I'm sure that was one of one of the things. And it was definitely it was more than likely you and Ed talking first, because Ed loves to talk, and mm. as do you. And I, I'm a little, I like to talk as well. I'm just a little more reserved initially. But once yeah. I feel comfortable around you, that's when I open up and I'm just, okay, yeah, like everything's good. And uh, I just have the I have the misfortune of focusing on table sales because usually, I mean, and this is when I first started. It's like, not so now. Like, I, I don't even focus on it. Um, I was so concerned with table sales when I first started. It's like, okay, I need to make the table back. I need to make the gas back, you know, yada, yada. And so Ed has the luxury of not having to deal with that because I'm usually uh, fronting the costs of everything. And so he's just chilling out, checking out stuff at the show. And so he's more relaxed. And so I'm sure you two hit it off. And then when uh, when I heard your guys' conversation, that's like, oh, hey, I want to get on this. Like, that guy seems cool. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, with the luck of the draw thing, like usually uh, I might not be next to the best person or or – or I'll get someone cool, or I'll just get someone quiet. You know, and quiet is okay, but um, and someone bad is obviously bad. So <laughs> I was really happy for my second show that we got someone as cool as you next to us. And and it's just such a trip because like the combination of things we're into, I don't think that's a traditional, normal comic book thing to like. You know, sneakers, basketball, hip hop, like and comic books. Those things don't 
I don't think they naturally go together. And so to yeah. be put next to someone who likes all of those same interests as you, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. This is one of those things too of like, it's one thing to say sneakers and basketball, right? It's, it's another to be like, you know, like, did you see the Kobe light bulbs? You know, like that kind of thing, right? And oh, have yeah. it immediately be, wait, what the hell did you just say? You know, like that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, basketball or just something like that. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't even think of a good example, you know, like, man, I, I really, I really love the work that Kelly Oubre put in the off season working on his left hand, you know, like that kind of shit yeah. where it's like, <laughs> what the hell? Whoa. You go there too. Kelly Oubre Jr. Looks, looks great over on the Suns. I really like that. That play. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. I, it, I, I promised myself, well, I, I'm still angry at the world because the Sixers stink and I I was expecting to be celebrating a title by now and there is there is no title there is no title (laughs) and and I'm and I'm mad at the world (laughs) and but I'm not I'm the only human being I'm not mad at that's part of the 76ers is Ben Simmons I'm mad at everybody else right so yeah I thought that that bitterness was uh was going to carry over but then I started to get a little excited for basketball season now uh wow probably only about 45 days away right so pretty good yeah yeah it looks like you guys are trying to get a a James Harden so someone might be going away and sounds like Westbrook wants out so he's going to be going away so wherever the hell he's going yeah if that somebody is Ben Simmons, then I'm not going to be a 76ers fan anymore. I'm going to have a real hard reckoning. But that's uh, that's another oh, that's another story. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. we'll I be just, getting a whole other tangent that's not comic books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have we we can just call it the profanity podcast where I just get to rail on the Sixers for 30 minutes or something like that. I'm I'm sure I'm sure it'll get a huge following. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, man, ever since then, the thing I remember too is that Iron Maiden's beer. So I'm a huge heavy metal fan, and I had found out that Iron Maiden's beer was stateside now. It's called the Trooper, which mm-hmm. an obvious Iron Maiden reference. And so I look up, uh, I was looking up places where I could get the Trooper because I think in a, in a dead moment at a show, which there are, you know, even in good shows, there are plenty of dead moments for me. Oh, yes, there are um, plenty. So I was looking up, you know, I think I was on Facebook and somebody was like, just had my first Iron Maiden the Trooper. And I'm like, uh, he lives in Texas. He doesn't live in Britain. Wh- where the hell did he get that? So one thing leads to another. I'm looking up where I can get the Trooper. And the only place in California that had it at the time was a place called Grill em All. So, again, easy heavy metal reference there. If you know metal, then you know that that is clearly a play on Metallica's first album. And so now I'm looking at a place called Grilla Mall with a beer called The Trooper. And I'm like, is this a heavy metal themed restaurant? Is this a thing? The answer is yes. The answer is it's a burger restaurant. And the answer is they're some of the best burgers you will ever have in your life. So, and we had never tried it. I had never tried it. And so because we were just chopping it up all weekend, I was like, hey, man, after this show, you want to like drive north about like 20 minutes and check out this place called Grill em All? And you guys were like, bet. So then we went there and uh, I think we four of us went and we got four burgers and just chopped them in the tiny little quarters. Right. Yep. And then everybody, everybody uh, hit, hit, it off, hit them up, man. Yeah. And that's yeah, how slid, I slid one across to each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was you, me. Ed and Nick, our buddy yeah. Nick, he ended up moving uh, to the East Coast. But yeah, he was there. Yeah. Who ordered the D Snyder? It was not me. Oh, man, I can't even remember. What's in the D Snyder? The D Snyder is the peanut butter, strawberry, I, bacon I burger. I did. It was you me. did? Yeah, that's my jam. That's that's <laughs> the best goddamn burger, period. And, and I never would have tried it 
uh, yeah, I've I've converted like ten people to that and counting just for how oh, good it's the it best. is. And there's you know, so if, many people that are unwilling to try that. They they yeah. hear it and they're like, "That's disgusting." I'm like, "Look, I thought the same thing. It does sound crazy, but it's not crazy. It's exactly. it's so delicious. Like even the first thing I had, it was at a, a smaller restaurant in San Diego, and it was a peanut butter burger. It didn't even have the jelly. And so the first time I went to this this other spot, it's a Slater's fifty fifty. There's one up in L.A. Yep. Uh, they have a peanut butter and it's called peanut butter and jealousy burger. And it's, it's pretty much the D Snyder. It's peanut butter, jelly and bacon. And, uh, the only difference is their bun or their, their patty is 50% bacon. That's so right. It's beef. Yeah. Ground together. And so the first time I had it, I told them no jelly and they were like, dude, are you serious? It's really good. And so they actually talked me into having it. And so when we got to uh, grill them all, it was an easy choice for me. Cause I was like, yeah. okay, I know exactly what this is and I love it. That makes sense. And and somebody out there, even multiple somebody's are probably listening to this like, you're stupid. That burger sucks. It's like, okay, so just just order one and eat it and then tell yeah. me that again. You know, like yeah. number one, you're stupid and you suck. And two, go eat that burger. <laughs> go order the burger and, you know, gain some knowledge and you will no longer be stupid. That cycle has repeated. It repeated with my wife where I had it and she was like, that sounds strange. And I'm like, have you tried it? Right. And then then it became one of her favorite burgers. Then it became one of my kids' favorite burgers. It just, the, the word spreads because all you got to do is try it to realize how amazing it is. Now I want a burger. Now I want that burger. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of do too. Yeah, it <laughs> oh, sounds God so damn good. it. What am, I, what am I doing with myself? Yeah, I hear you. All right, well, let's sound off. Social media. You can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I am on Instagram at Keith underscore decibel for just me, reviews, horror stuff, and Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word if you just want to follow Kadoja. And you can find my books, The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda, at accidentalaliens.com uh, forward slash shop. Or you could just type in accidentalaliens.com. They'll all be there for you, along with all the other accidental alien titles. Rock and roll. So, in terms of a Kadoja store, you can type in Kadoja store store envy. And that'll lead you to a place where you can get some great Kadoja stuff. Also, um, I review horror at probingthedepths.com. And you can find information on Kadoja at 215inc.com slash Kadoja. Boom, motherfuckers.